as take courage in English. And I, I know I already uh, said something about this verse two Sundays ago, but given how our story unfolds today, I thought it would be appropriate to further explain why it was necessary for Paul to hear God speak such words of hope and encouragement at this particular moment in his life. Because it's a very difficult moment. Remember that just two chapters ago, and for Paul it would have been just the other day, Paul was forcefully dragged out from the temple by a Jewish mob that intended to stone him to death in broad daylight. And only because the Roman authorities swiftly intervened, his life was spared. That's really the only reason. Of course, God was behind it, but I mean, the Roman soldiers had to act swiftly, and they did. You know, in many U.S. cities today, some of you may have heard, if your life is threatened and you dial 911, guess what the response time is these days? In many cities, it's well over an hour. In some cities, you have to wait over two hours. And by the time the police arrive, guess what? You're dead. This is yet another sign that our country is deeply broken. In contrast, Paul's life was spared because there was this swift and decisive response to the chaos caused by this violent Jewish mob. So I'm sure he was, you know, pleasantly surprised about this quick response, but, you know, just because his life was spared doesn't mean that it didn't affect him emotionally. You know, if, if you're that close to dying, such a violent and public death, you would not be human if you weren't emotionally affected in some, you know, profound way. So you would hope that Paul was able to catch a break, but he, you know, there's, there's no break for him. The drama continues because it says that the following day he was asked to meet with the Jewish called the Sanhedrin, and we covered this last Sunday, but just a few minutes into the meeting, the most powerful men in Jewish society were about to tear him into pieces is the language that's used to describe the chaos that erupted in the court. It's, it's chaos after chaos here, drama after drama. And I have to admit that it's hard for me to imagine that the Apostle Paul would have experienced any deep emotional or psychological trauma since I've always, I confess, I, I've had a tendency to view the Apostle Paul as superhuman, right? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's you know, a man, but, you know, he's superhuman was always my tendency. But, you know, if not trauma, I'm sure he was at the very least at one of the lowest points in his life given what, you know, the, all the events that unfolded up to this point. Because, it, it's, you know, it's not as if Jesus physically appears to people in his resurrection form that often. It doesn't happen that often, but it, it happens here in verse 11. You know, just because you, you read a few instances in the Bible of, of that happening doesn't mean it happened a lot. Even in, in biblical times, these sorts of what's called theophanies or Christophanies, right, these manifestations of God, of Christ, they didn't happen often at all. It was a rare occurrence. People were surprised whenever it did happen. I believe the last time Jesus encountered Paul in such an intimate way was when Paul was on the road to Damascus. But even in that encounter, 
Remember, Paul did not, you know, see uh, the physical form of Christ because he was blinded by this light. He was only able to hear Jesus' voice. And so this is perhaps, here in verse 11, the first time ever Paul actually sees Jesus in person, standing right next to him. And it's in this moment Jesus says to him, Tharsay, Tharsay, take courage, right? Don't be afraid. Say the course. Don't lose hope. I'm with you. Words of hope and encouragement. Why? Because Paul needed it in that moment. Now, I thought it would be helpful if you knew all the other contexts in which the word tharsay is used in the Scripture. Again, I said it last time, but one of my favorite you know, Greek words. I hope, it'll, I hope you'd actually use it you know, whenever you need to, to encourage yourself, but also uh, your fellow believers in Christ. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, people brought a paralytic to Jesus. And Jesus says, Tharsay, right, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. In the same chapter, in verse 22, Jesus turned to this bleeding woman who wanted to be desperately healed because, if you remember, she suffered from this condition, this terrible condition for 12 years, which made her unclean in the eyes of Jewish law. And to this woman, Jesus says, Tharsay, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. In Matthew chapter 14, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, I mean, they were already terrified to begin with because the storm was horrible. They were, they were like thinking that they were going to die in the, in the storm. But they see Jesus and they're even more terrified, it says. It's a ghost, they cry out in fear. But immediately Jesus says to them, Tharsay, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Right? To be technical, it's Tharsete for the plural, but it's the same meaning. Take heart, don't be afraid, it is I. And in John 16, Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. See, in the world you will have tribulation, but Tharsay, take heart. I have overcome the world. And he speaks these words to his disciples who are fearful of what's, to hap- what's going to happen to them. And there are a few other examples I can give, but you can trust me when I say this. There are basically two scenarios where this word is used. First, this, this word is used to those who feel utterly helpless because they have nowhere else to turn. They, they have no one else to, no, no one else to trust. They can trust it. I mean, they're blind, they're lame uh, since birth, and there's no hope for them in this ancient world they've been born into. Or they're isolated, they're lonely after being treated like a leper all of their lives because of this bleeding condition they've been suffering from. And it's to this, you know, helpless and hopeless people, the Lord says, Tharsay. Secondly, this word is spoken to those who are afraid due to the hostile circumstances they find themselves in. See, it was when the disciples were caught in this violent storm and when they were terrified or where there was an expectation of increased persecution and hardship, Jesus says, Tharsay, do not be afraid. I have overcome the world. These are the scenarios. And this was the case with the Apostle Paul as well. It was when Paul was in prison, physically tired from his travels and emotionally drained by the hostility of his own people, right, this word was spoken to him. So I want you to just know the context here. Paul needed to hear this word from his Lord. 
But what I would also really love for you to see today is the additional element of grace that God extends to Paul, right? I mean, besides appearing to him in person, that, that itself is, is a wonderful gift, but um, there's, there's more that God does for Paul in this story that I don't want you to overlook because that's the part of the story that you will be able to relate to much better. Why? Because, you know, honestly, you know, none of us really expect Jesus to appear physically to us, right? But we, we do expect what I'm about to say. We do expect that God will, uh, in some way, show some extra grace, and that's the element of grace I want to speak of, okay? It's a grace of God tangibly demonstrating for us his personal care and to help us know that he is actively involved in the more intricate details of our lives. That's what we see in the rest of our story. Let me help you understand what I'm trying to get at here by sharing just uh, my experience. This is when I was living in Korea. I, I was part of a church there that wasn't it was like a you know, small to mid-sized church. And I believe, if I remember correctly, it was like a lock-in. And we had you know, people of all ages. And I found myself in this small group with, you know, uh, I remember one older brother being there, one, you know, uh, also an older sister. I was probably the youngest one in that group, okay? Um, well, this older brother, he was probably in high school or college at the time, but he was someone I was supposed to look up to because he was active in the choir, and he was at least perceived to be someone who was mature in his faith. And he basically, uh, when it was his time to share, he, he basically uh, shared to the group that he believed in what was called, what is called still, deism. And he went on to describe what that is by claiming that see, God is someone who is impersonal, right? God is someone who doesn't directly involve himself with the world he created, right? It's as if God sort of spins a top and lets it spin without interfering with it at all, and sort of having this hands-off approach, right? So God creates this world, he spins, it, he spins the earth, and he's hands-off. And so this, this older brother... Was I was supposed to look up to, uh, he wanted us to imagine a God who is completely hands-off from his creation, a very impersonal God. But even in my young age, and even with my limited understanding of Scripture, I remember thinking that what he shared was not at all consistent with how the Bible testifies about God, and I, trust me, I wasn't a serious Christian back then at all, and the Korean Bible was hard for me to read and comprehend at times, but even with my limited knowledge, I knew that what he was sharing was bogus. Brothers and sisters, if you just read your Bible, you should be able to sniff out such poorly formulated beliefs about God. You know, most people who become deceived by false, you know, by false teaching are people who either don't read their Bibles or people who don't actually believe what the Bible actually says. Again, I wasn't even a serious Christian, but I knew that this older brother was spewing theological nonsense. And the only way to avoid theological nonsense is by allowing God to reveal who he is through his word. 
So my main purpose today is to show you through this story, right, through, through God's word, how committed God is in practically caring for us as his people and why we can trust him in the midst of the trials we face in this life. And I want you to first see how this plays out in Paul's life. And in order to truly appreciate how God personally cares for Paul, we first need to see how things go from bad to worse for Paul, because things do get worse for Paul before they get better. Right? And then you will see how God provides. Right? This is a beautiful story. See, right after the Lord personally visits Paul and offers him words of you know, comfort and hope, this is what we read next. Right? When it was day... The Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And how many were there? There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. And not only that, they went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. In other words, they colluded with authorities. Let's add another layer of complexity. I mean... Have any of you had any experience of being placed on someone's hit list? Anyone? Any hands? I don't think so. Right? If you have, please share your story. I'd love to hear it. Now, I can't say that this man wanted to literally kill me, but he did threaten to hurt me. He also threatened to sabotage our ministry, like this ministry. This happened a few years ago. And from my interactions uh, with him, he didn't seem like a mentally stable person at the time. So I, I went before a judge in the Fairfax courthouse to, re to request a restraining order. And uh, a few members of Cornerstone were actually there right, to serve as witnesses. I, I wanted a restraining order to be placed on this man so he wouldn't be able to come near me. And it was clear that the judge had seen far more serious cases than, than mine. I mean, she, she realized that this man was a troubled man, but she wasn't willing to grant me that request in spite of the written evidence I submitted to her. And so the, the, the request wasn't granted, but I, I still felt like I had to prepare myself for the worst. And it was nearly impossible for me during that season to sleep peacefully <laughs> When I knew that there was this one person, this one person plotting evil against me and my family and my ministry. So just imagine if you had more than 40 grown men, committed men, who made a solemn oath neither to eat nor drink until they killed you. Imagine that scenario. I mean, who would be able to survive such a threat? Paul was supposed to die here. When you, when, you have, when you have 40 fanatical men making an oath, fasting essentially to, to kill you, you're supposed to be dead. Wouldn't you agree that this is the kind of threat that would be impossible for anyone to overcome without the help of some divine intervention. And to make matters worse, as I've alluded to earlier, these domestic terrorists, which that's what they were, 
They were colluding with the Jewish authorities, with the Sanhedrin. Right? This, this Jewish court that was supposed to uphold the law and promote true justice. They were colluding with that body. I mean, imagine if people within the government, our government, colluded with members within the private sector. Wait a second, that, that actually happened, right? That happens. <laughs> it's happening now even. But my point, my point today is that if this kind of thing ever happened to any of us directly, we would feel utterly helpless and we would not know who to turn to. We would be in desperate need of some divine intervention. And so this is the point in the story where God surprises us by providing for Paul through unexpected means. This is the moment in Paul's life where God surprises him with manna-like provision. I love, I love that expression, manna-like provision. I hope you all know what I mean by manna-like provision. Okay, you know your Bible stories? When the Israelites thought they were going to die from starvation in the wilderness, when they had reached the point of utter helplessness because they could not see how God could possibly provide for all of them, okay? not just a handful, but there are many mouths to feed. They could not see how God could provide for them in the wilderness. See, God, he did the unthinkable, the unimaginable by having stuff fall from the sky. And the people did not know what it was because it's the first time they saw anything like it. They didn't know what that substance was. They say, the response was manna, manna, which means what is this? What is it? What is this? That's manna. Like how is, what, right? It was like mind-blowing. Right? They didn't know that there was this option, that God, <laughs> that God would even consider this kind of miraculous means to provide for them. It's like, what is this? They're amazed. This is the kind of thing you see in this story as well. I'm pretty confident that Paul would never have guessed in a million years how God was plan planning to provide for him in this story. And it's important that we pay attention to the details of how the story unfolds, okay? So first, notice that we're told that Paul had a sister and that his sister had a son, who evidently had access to the inner workings of the Sanhedrin. Don't overlook that detail. This is supposed to surprise us. Right? Did any, anyone, anyone here know that Paul had a sister, first of all? That's, that's news to most of us, right? But Paul had a sister? Paul had family? He never even bothered to mention family in any of his letters, right? And none of the other... New Testament writers bother to mention anything about Paul's member, family members either. Well, this is the only exception. And because not much has been written about Paul's family, you know, we, we can't say for sure, you know, this person was like that, or his sister, you know, nephew was like this, or how many, how many nieces, or whatever he had. But what we do know is that Paul did come from a family that was highly devoted to Judaism. Right? They were a very religious family committed to Judaism, and that's why Paul was, as you should know, he was sent to learn under Gamaliel, and he became a very 
highly educated Pharisee, right, someone who was revered in his day. And just based on that, you know, we can be pretty confident in saying that Paul's family was part of the Jewish elite class. Right? They could afford such an education. And that his nephew here was also very likely put on the same educational track Paul was on. So imagine this, this, this you know, highly religious family committed to Judaism. Right? They, were, they were investing so much of their resources and you know, wanting to train up their, their children in the ways of Judaism. Imagine how Paul's family would have responded when they heard that Paul renounced his Phariseeism. Right? They announced his Jewish faith to become a committed follower of Christ. Imagine the drama that would have unfolded. He would have been estranged by his family, wouldn't you think? Most scholars agree. Here's what one, one commentator writes. In all likelihood, Paul's family disowned him as soon as he became a follower of the way. He had endured the loss of all things for Christ, using Paul's language. He had endured the loss of all things for Christ, including his family. You know, when, when Paul wrote those words that he's lost all things, you know, he never specifies it was family, but you know, we can imagine that, yes, his family was also part of the loss you know, for being a Christian. It meant he had to lose if not all, most of his family members, because they disowned him. Many of you know that I have an older sister, and you know my relationship with her right now, I have to admit, is at an all-time low, and it's also the case with my nephew and, and, and niece, my nephews, I should say, and nieces. And, and so I, I can somewhat relate to what Paul must have been feeling every time he thought about his family. It must have really broken his heart. But thankfully, no matter what their theological differences were, Paul's nephew in this story still recognized that an ambush leading to a cold-blooded murder was an evil plot that needed to be exposed. And that's one of the surprising ways in which God provides for Paul here. You know, it could have easily gone the other way. Right? Let's say if, if his nephew was blinded by his religious fervor or blinded by his hatred for his uncle, it could have easily gone the other way. It's like, I don't care about it. My family disowned him. You know, who cares what happens to him? He deserves what he's going to get. And aren't there people in your life you know, who absolutely despises you, and you know that they wouldn't care one bit if something bad happened to you. Right? There are people like that, right, sometimes in our lives. In this story, that character was supposed to be Paul's nephew, but instead of turning a blind eye, he risked his own life to warn Paul of this evil plot. It's meant to catch her attention. Another very surprising element in the story is how the Roman centurions and the Roman tribune 
They're described here to be upright and noble people who actually cared about Paul's well-being. This is a head-scratcher as well. And I, I know that, you know, Paul was a Roman citizen, and so they had some obligation, but I'm telling you, they, they, they went, you know, like, I mean, they, they, they bend over back. They went, they, they went like, you know, 110% to, to provide for this man. It, it's a head-scratcher. Because if you're an unbelieving Roman soldier, why would you really care all that much about a lowly Jew? But they did, and that's what's also very unusual about this story. Let me uh, just shift gears slightly to give you a more lighthearted example, uh, because it's a gloomy day, and <laughs> I've been very serious up to this point, and uh, you look all very serious. So let me give you an example of, of how this is so, this should be perceived as so uncommon, okay? Uh, it's kind of like how it's so unusual to find good and reliable workers in these economically unstable times. Have you noticed how hard it is to find a good worker these days? I'm sure some of you who, are, you know, who own stores, uh, you can attest to that. But you know, when you see one, you're like, wow, you know, I didn't know they still existed, good workers. <laughs> My mom, uh, she works out at Planet Fitness in Centerville pretty much every single day. Uh, so if you happen to see her, please say hi. But uh, she, we had a recent conversation about this. You know, um, she mentioned how there used to be a very diligent worker who kept the place very clean. And so one day, she actually approached him in, with, with her broken English and complimented him for doing a good job, right? I mean, that's how, like, appreciative she was. A few weeks later, she stopped seeing him, and the place quickly became less sanitary. I mean, she noticed it pretty much right away. Kind of dirty here, dirty there, nothing's wiped down. Uh, and she concluded, you know, good workers are truly a gift from God. Right? And if you see one, you should really, you know, thank them for uh, their diligence. They're rare. In our story today, the centurions and the tribune are to be seen as God's gift to Paul. They didn't have to bend over backwards to help Paul, but they did. They could have just, you know, uh, given bare minimum. They could have chosen to quiet quit, something I learned recently. You know what that means? Quiet quit. I hope you're not quiet quitting at work, guys. Yeah? Don't be that person. Right? They could have subtly slacked off as is the trend in our day. They could have easily allowed the Jews to go along with their ambush plans and just make, make it sound like things just got out of hand. Like, I don't know, I mean, you know we, we couldn't do anything. Right? This was like a well-thought-out well plan that they executed. We couldn't really stop it. Could have been their excuse. But instead, look, look what they do. They bend over backwards to help Paul by mobilizing an incredible amount of resources to move Paul out of Jerusalem to safety. Notice verse 23 and 24. This, again, this is something that is not meant to be overlooked, okay? The tribune tells the centurions, get ready, 200 soldiers. So we're talking about 40, you know, a little over 40 men, okay? Okay. Um, 
probably with, I don't know, I don't know if they had, they would have access to like, you know, lethal weapons. Maybe they had some things, but I mean, it'd be no match against like Roman soldiers. But get ready, 200 soldiers plus 70 horsemen, okay? I'm thinking 70 horsemen would have been enough. <laughs> but 200 plus 70, doesn't stop there, plus 200 spearmen, you do the math. And have these men go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Furthermore, provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely. Right, don't just bring him, but make sure he's brought safely to the governor named Felix. That's what's going on here. It's crazy. Right? The, the Roman tribune basically went above and beyond his call of duty to provide safe passage for Paul. Right? And brother and sister, these details are meant to be understood as surprising plot twists in our story today. They're meant to remind us that God often provides for us through unexpected means, and we're to be grateful, we're to respond with gratitude. Some of you, if you're like me, actually, you know, I, I confess, I don't like, I don't like surprises. You know, I, I would rather prefer my life to be very monotonous, okay? Maybe you noticed already, <laughs> I don't know. I confess that during my sabbatical, I, I had, I enjoyed the first, like, three, four weeks, okay? But then after the first month, I'm like, I kind of miss my mundane routine, you know? Because by nature, I don't like surprises. And some of you may, may be like that, you know, uh, because, you know, we... We want to feel like we're in control of our daily routine. And so I understand. But one thing I learned to appreciate more about God in my older and, let me humbly say, wiser years, is the fact that God, by his nature, is a master storyteller. Okay? He knows how to create memorable characters. He knows how to create conflict and tension that leads to these kinds of surprising elements in the story. This is how God tells stories. Not only did God write the greatest story ever told, which has the greatest plot twist of all time, with God sending the ultimate manna from heaven, who is Jesus, see, but each of our own stories is written by him, and it contains these surprising miracles that testifies of God's unexpected care for us. All these stories are written by our God, our master storyteller. That's, I think that's one perspective that helps. It helps us appreciate sort of the messiness that we experience in life and, and the need for these surprising elements that God sort of introduces into not only Paul's story, but our stories, these elements of grace. Some of you are really afraid to share your testimonies in front of others because of your messy history, right? I understand that as well. Every time we have a membership class, I, I usually ask, hey, you know, would you mind sharing your testimony? And I would say 90% of people, they say, I really don't like sharing my testimony in front of other people, you know? I get that, right? 
Because our, our lives have messy components, and we may feel embarrassed, or we just, you know, just we don't like sharing to a lot of people. Now, I, I get that. But another way to look at it is as an opportunity, right? To share your testimony in front of people is an opportunity to testify of a God who surprised you with his unexpected care for you throughout your life. It's an opportunity to testify of how God rescued you from your helpless state in ways that you had never imagined possible. I think that's a healthy perspective to have as you consider how God has, has actively worked in your life. I'd encourage you to share, maybe not with you know, a whole lot of people like, like this, but you know, be, be someone willing to share your testimony with that purpose in mind. I believe that God fills our lives with various problems and hardships so that we could experience his mighty power and know without a shadow of a doubt that our salvation comes from God. Amen? And so we should be thankful in the end. Yes, we experience these moments of pain, of loneliness, of helplessness. See, but God, in his grace, he meets us where we are and he surprises us with these plot twists that are meant to have us point to his goodness in our lives. One last point before I close the message today. As you consider your own present hardships, please be reminded through Paul's story that God is able to bring about good from any kind of evil or any bad situation you may be in right now. He does it again and again and again, doesn't he? I mean, you see example after example through Scripture. I don't have time to go over. I just I want you to know, even in this story, God does. This was a helpful insight uh, I read from one commentator. Let me share this with you. This is something I, I didn't realize until I read it, so it, it's helpful for me to have this perspective. And it, it goes like this. When, when Paul was moved to Caesarea, he was able to speak about Jesus to kings. Twenty years before, the Lord had said that he was to carry his name before the Gentiles and their kings, and now that promise is gradually being fulfilled. You see, the point is this. See, Paul was not able to testify before kings when he was free. See, when he was free, he was going from local synagogue to local synagogue, you know, to doing some, you know, preaching to the Gentiles whenever he could. But it was never to kings. He did not have access to kings, to people in high positions. But now as a prisoner, Paul testified in Acts 24 before Governor Felix, in Acts 25 to Governor Festus, and eventually in Acts 26 before King Agrippa. That's the progression that can only happen because of the hardships he's experiencing now. There is good that comes out of this. Rome, the Roman Empire, later with, with their emperor converting to Christianity, becomes by law a Roman 
Christian empire. I know that didn't last all that long, but it, that's still an important mark in history. And that is God's doing. And it began right here with Paul sharing Jesus to kings, the people in high places. In regards to each of our personal lives, brothers and sisters, there is really no way to know exactly what God is doing in each and every one of our circumstances. But we do know, see, that God is doing something redemptive and purposeful. And we do know that we can trust him in all things. So if you feel like a dark cloud has descended upon you and you're discouraged, maybe even depressed, especially in this weather, if you've grown weary over time and you're tempted to give up, God's word for you today is what? All together? Tharse. One more time? Tharse. God is telling us, do not give up. Take heart. Be courageous. Stay the course. Brothers and sisters, your circumstances may seem impossible to you now, but remember that nothing is impossible to God. He will provide for you with his manna-like provision. He will use whatever means he chooses to use to accomplish his purposes in the end. So never doubt him. Continue to walk with him, trust in him, knowing that his plans will never fail. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Father, when we feel paralyzed by fear, when we struggle with a sense of helplessness due to the harsh circumstances of life we find ourselves in at times, we thank you for speaking to us with words of comfort and hope by reminding us that we can trust in you in the midst of life's storms. You spoke Tharse to the one who was paralyzed since birth. You spoke Tharse to the bleeding woman who was deemed unclean virtually all of her life. You spoke Tharse to the Apostle Paul who was discouraged and afraid. So as we consider the way in which you have personally cared for your people throughout history, may each and every one of us realize that we are also called to take courage in the Lord whenever we feel afraid and helpless. Lord, we confess this morning that we are able to find great comfort in our Lord Jesus because he has overcome the world. And we know that he who lives in us is greater than he who is in the world. Praise be to you now and forevermore. And it's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So I'll stand together and give praise to God.